morning. Before we get going, just a few things that I want to say. First of all, a peculiar people. That is what we're talking about today. I love that. That should have been the title of my sermon today. Why don't we talk about this beforehand? Um, the other thing that I have to say is I love that we're a church where we've got kids dancing and worshiping in the morning. That's awesome. That's so good. I also love that there are so many of you. I can't see you right now because it's very dark out here and it's very bright up here, but I know you're out there. And it's so good to see so many of you that I haven't seen for a long time. That is so good. It's also so good that God has blessed us with an incredible worship team that on the fly kind of fills in. We're missing a couple people this morning, kind of last minute cancellations. Rob is incredible. And our volunteers in worship are incredible. Rob just hops back in the cage, you know, no free range worship leader this morning. And uh, he just leads and Brian and Jillian, the team, it's a beautiful thing. Our VBX volunteers are wonderful. And the fact that the children here brought in so much food for the food bank is a wonderful thing. I do need to say one thing, though, Sarah. Well, two things, really. The first thing is this. I think I was set up. I don't think there's any way that I was going to win. The second thing, and I told Sarah this, we missed an opportunity, Sarah. We missed an opportunity to teach the children of this church about substitutionary atonement. We missed it. We missed it. I tried to get Sarah to step into that pool. She wouldn't do it. Nevertheless, it was a wonderful, wonderful VBX. And I'm so thankful for our VBX. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see the number of people that participated in VBX, in Kashmir, both children and students and volunteers. We are a church that wants to have great impact. We are a church that wants to make a difference We are a church that believes in the importance of investing in people. As a church, we desire to be a family of faith that has kingdom impact because we know that kingdom impact is life impact, right? Kingdom impact is a transforming impact. Kingdom impact is eternal impact. At NBC, one of our six areas of discipleship focus is biblical knowledge. And when we talk about biblical knowledge, we talk about getting to know God better, deeper. We talk about getting to know scripture deeper and better because we believe that God and God through his word is transformative. That God works in our lives and transforms our hearts and our minds. And as a result, our conduct and our character is transformed as well. This is why we dive so deeply into scripture. It's why we're spending so much time in a book like Ephesians. Why last week Sarah reminded us of Paul's words to put off our old selves and to put on our new self. We're reminded that we need to have this renewing of our, of our spirit, of our minds, in order to be more like Christ. There are two ways that we can live, right? We can live in this old way or we can live in this new way. And Paul says, you don't have to live in this old way. You don't have to live in corruption and deceit. There's a new way, a better way. You don't have to do this, but you can do this. You don't have to live in this, but you can live into this. Because there is a better way. Sometimes we get so set in our ways that we fail to identify the fact that there might be a better way. Or we may not be aware of the fact that there is a better way. I'm sure all of you have experienced this at one time 
or another, where you've done something for so long one way, and then somebody tells you that you can do this other way, you're like, why didn't you tell me this 10 years ago, right? I'm going to share a couple of, you, of these with you this morning, things that are very simple in my own life, but they have been revolutionary. They all happen to relate to food. These are freebies. You can take these with you, implement them in your lives, share them with your friends and family, and if you've known these things for a long time, you can come up and laugh at me after service. Here's the first one. Did you know, I want to thank the Halls, Brian and Whitney Hall for this one. Did you know that if when you're cutting brownies, if you use a plastic knife instead of a metal knife, the brownies don't stick to the blade? (laughs) Game changer. Game changer. It's true. I don't know the science behind it, the magic that takes place, but it's true. Plastic, never use a metal knife on your brownies again. Here's the second one. When I was a little kid, I don't know if you do this or not, but when I was a little kid, when I had a banana, I'd, you know, try and open it up. I'd like the handle on top, right? Like where it connects to the bunch, that's where you're supposed to open it from. No. Turn it over. The other side. It doesn't squish. Who said that? Yes. Yes, it doesn't squish as much. Flip it over. The other side, it opens so much better. I know, Jeff Downer, I know. (laughs) Last one for you. Holiday season, lots of good food, but I love pomegranates. Anybody love pomegranates? You get the big thing at Costco. Now, there there are a lot of different methods to getting the seeds out of a pomegranate. My preferred method, the one that I've used ever since I learned about it, you cut it in half, you kind of peel it back just a little bit, and then you beat on the back of it with a wooden spoon. Now, the seeds pop right out, Your counter looks a bit like a produce crime scene because there's red juice all over, but it works so, so well. So these are freebies. You can thank me after service. You can laugh at me either way. These are examples of coming to an understanding of a better way. And here Paul is talking about something far more significant than brownies or bananas or pomegranates, but it makes the point that there is a better way to live, and sometimes we need to be reminded of this better way. Our passage today looks at what this better way looks like, the characteristics of living in this new way. We're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through Ephesians 5, verse 7. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to read with me this morning. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. 
Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure that this, that everyone, you may, may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. The word of the Lord. Now, this is a long passage. It is a passage that is filled with a lot of ideas. It is a passage that is kind of a list, and we're going to walk through this this morning, but we're not going to land specifically on any one of these things. I want us to go through this this morning to look at these things that are characteristic of both this other way and this new, good, right, righteous way. And I want us to consider the implications of all of this. Paul begins by speaking to the interconnected nature of the body. We've talked about this for the last several weeks. The unity of the church, the importance of us as the body of Christ being connected and united together for so many different reasons. And he talks about it here. He says, for we are members of one another. We are connected, and as such, we need to be truthful to one another. I love Harold Honer's definition of truth. He says, truth is confirming one's words to reality. I think that's such a good definition of truth. Truth is confirming one's words to reality. And Paul is encouraging this in the believers that he's writing to. Now, in the, in the next seven verses, Paul does three things to kind of expand upon this for everybody. First of all, he expresses a negative command. Don't do this. Second, he says, do do this. Here's the positive command. And third, he shares the rationale. He makes his case for this. It says, not this, but that sort of proposition. And it's thoughtfully supported as he, he flushes this out for us. First, Paul says, if we are to put on our new self as a member of Christ's body, we must begin with truth. It's because falsehood tears down. It destroys. Falsehood divides. It causes strife. It is the undoing of unity. Paul continues, and he, he addresses anger. Now, it's important to know that Paul doesn't say that anger specifically is bad. He says, do not sin. Now, I don't think Paul's advocating for us to be angry whenever we want to be angry. Just, just be angry all the time. I don't think that's what he's saying. But there are times when perhaps there is a righteous anger. We see Jesus become upset at times. But he says, if you are angry, don't fall into sin. He says, you may experience anger, but if you are experiencing anger, you need to deal with that anger. If you find yourself experiencing anger, don't sin. Go and address this. Go to the person. Talk to the person that you're angry with. Communicate with them. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why is it so important to not let the sun go down on our anger? Why must we address it? Because when we leave sin and anger unaddressed in our lives, it gives Satan this foothold. He reaches in, he clings on to us, and he gets this foothold. Anger is one of those things that can tear us up. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you've been angry about something, 
and it has just festered inside of you. You find yourself lying in bed at night thinking about all the things that you would say to that person. Or you've been in the shower getting ready like, oh man, I've got this meeting coming up today. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to tell them this, and I'm going to tell them that. I'm so angry with my spouse, or I'm so upset with my kids, or my coworker, or my parents. It festers, and it gives Satan this foothold, this opportunity to grab a hold of us. We can't let that happen. So Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with your sin. Then Paul addresses thievery and stinginess. He says, don't steal, but go about doing an honest day's work. Don't steal, work hard, so that you will then be blessed and have have the things that you need to go and bless others. Be in a position where you can honestly love and serve others. I think an important caveat for us to to make here is this, that we all find ourselves in situations where we need help, right? Financially, relationally, physically, etc. And we shouldn't feel ashamed of asking for help or receiving help because we all find ourselves in these circumstances. We also need to keep in mind that as followers of Christ, we have been called to meet needs. When somebody has a need, when somebody is hurting, we as the church should be in position to meet those needs. That's why Paul is saying here, go and do an honest day's work so that you have the means by which to go and help somebody when they find themselves in a time of trouble. Paul then addresses our speech, imploring believers to avoid corrupt talk, but instead speak words of life, things that build each other up. Why? That it might give grace to those who hear. The things that we say have great power. I don't know where the saying, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt me. I don't know where that came from. That is such a lie. Right? Words hurt. They can hurt a lot. Words have the power to cut and destroy, but they also have the power to bring life and hope and restoration and to cultivate unity. Paul implores the believers to let go of deadly vices of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, slander, malice. He says, not this, not these things, but this over here. Be kind, be tenderhearted, be forgiving. Why? That's how Christ acts towards us. This is how God has acted towards you in Christ. He sent his son to be this beautiful, gracious gift to you, to your family. Paul is saying, get rid of these things. Pursue these things. Christ models this better way. And as it says in in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What a beautiful picture. A fragrant offering. We don't really do fragrant offerings now in our culture here, but what a beautiful thought. Whatever that might be for you, whether it's, it's a flower or, or maybe it's a, you know, a, a plate of brownies, I don't know. Whatever that fragrant offering is, think of something that just, ah, it's so He's saying, you can be a fragrant offering. Be imitators of God. Have you ever, at any point in your life, perhaps when you were a child, have you ever found yourself 
wanting to imitate someone. When I was a kid, the person that I wanted to imitate more than anyone else was Ken Griffey Jr. When I was about seven years old, I was given a sheet of baseball cards and a Beckett baseball card monthly, had Ken Griffey Jr. right on the cover. And there are two Griffey cards in there. There was a 1989 Don Russ rookie card, card number 33, I still remember that. And a 1990 Fleer Ken Griffey Jr. card. And this was this gateway into the world of baseball card collection. But it's very specific as well. Ken Griffey Jr. was my guy. I would pour over those cards. I can't even begin to try and calculate how many hours I spent looking at these cards. I learned everything about Ken Griffey Jr. I knew his stats. I knew how tall he was. I knew his birth date. I knew where he was born. I knew all of this stuff about him. I'd watch him on television. I studied pictures of him. I'm going to take you back here for a moment. Do you remember Bat Night? Like, and I'm, I'm not talking about like little bats, but like legit full-size baseball bat, Bat Night at the Mariners. It was so good. Going to Bat Night and getting my black Ken Griffey Jr. bat. It matched my black glove because I had to get a black glove because Griffey had a black glove. And I'm also left-handed, so that's great. I wanted to play baseball like Ken Griffey Jr. So I got in the backyard and I'd throw balls up in the air and I'd catch them and I'd pretend that I was having these incredible baseball games and I'm making these plays in center field. And then I'd model my, my batting stance after Griffey. Like, I mean, everything. Griffey, Ken Griffey Jr. Why did I imitate Ken Griffey Jr.? There are a lot of baseball players, right? A lot of good baseball players, a lot of players on the Mariners. I imitated him because, in my mind, he clearly did things a better way. As far as I was concerned, he was unlike any other player out there. And here we have Paul saying that there's this new way, this better way. Not this. Not this, not this old life that you've been living. There's this new way, this new self over here. Seek to have your mind renewed so that you can put on this new self. Get this created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, as it says in Ephesians 4.24. Paul says in 5.1 that we are as beloved children to imitate God. As children imitating love incarnate because God is the better way. We use this word disciple to refer to those that follow after Jesus. And we use this because a disciple is someone that was a student, a pupil, someone that learned from someone else, took on their ways, adopted their ways, and then lived them back out. They imitated their teacher. So when we talk about being a disciple of Jesus, we talk about learning from Jesus, adopting his ways, taking on his ways, and then living them out in the world around us. Paul continues by pointing to further examples of things that are not consistent with what it looks like to imitate Christ. Not consistent with the values and the ideals, not consistent with the love. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor, nor a crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure 
or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Paul says that these are not characteristics, these are not attributes, these are not things that reflect Christ. And as such, believers are to avoid them. Paul's very clear about this. There are consequences if you do these things. Don't do these things because this is not going to be good for you. Here's the thing for us to keep in mind. If a person is to follow after Christ, there's an action that is required. To follow after Christ doesn't just happen by osmosis. It's not something that just happens by thinking about it. It doesn't happen by just thinking positive thoughts. It's not something by just appreciating the good life that Jesus led. No, this requires action. It requires us to relinquish control of our lives. I need to put on my, take off my old self. I need to be renewed by the spirit of my mind. And I need to put on my new self in order to be an imitator of Christ. And in doing this, I become this beautiful, fragrant offering. Our lives will never compare to the fragrant offering of Christ. But we can be imitators of Christ, and God views that as a beautiful, pleasing, fragrant offering. Such transformation requires that I allow the Holy Spirit to work in me, and that I respond accordingly. This is something that we've talked about earlier this summer. Very first week of the summer, we talked about when the Spirit moves in our lives, we need to be ready to receive the Spirit and ready to respond. I love this question from Pastor Kyle Eidelman in his book, Not a Fan. He asked this, are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? He says, my concern is that many of our churches in America have gone from being sanctuaries to becoming stadiums. And every week all the fans come to the stadium where they cheer for Jesus but have no interest in truly following him. The biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. Get this, they want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits but not so close that it requires anything of them. It's a gut check. There's a major difference here that we have to wrestle with. Do you simply just like the idea of Jesus? Or are you willing to follow after Jesus? Are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? It's an essential question that we have to ask. There were a lot of great baseball players when I was growing up. There are a lot of great baseball players now. But there was only one that I wanted to emulate. Because as far as I was concerned, the rest up short. There are a lot of great teachers and leaders and speakers and pastors, but at the end of the day, there's only one person that it really matters whether or not I follow after them, and that's Jesus. Options abound, but there is no substitute for Jesus Christ. And so every morning when I get up, I need to look into the mirror and I need to ask myself, Am I a fan of Jesus or am I a follower of Jesus?
of Jesus. And if I'm a follower of Jesus, I need to pray that the Holy Spirit will fill me and empower me and equip me for the day ahead. I need the Spirit to help me take off my old self and renew my mind so I can put on my new self. Because here's the thing, I need less of this and I need more of this. I need less of this and I need more of this. Less of me and my ways and more of Christ. I need less falsehood and anger and greed and unwholesome talk and bitterness, wrath, clamor, slander, malice, and immorality. And I need more truth, generosity, edification, kindness, forgiveness, thankfulness, and love. I need to be a Christian. That is what a Christian is. It is a little Christ, someone who follows after Jesus. That is what it means to be a Christian. Despite what we might see out in the world today, that is what it means to be a Christian. I need to be an imitator of Christ. I will never be Christ, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can become more like him. This is a process that takes time. But the beautiful thing is that God will meet you right where you are at. (laughs) There's no expectation that you have it all together today. You might have walked through the doors of the church this morning feeling like a complete wreck, like a failure. And as I've read through this passage that Paul wrote, you may feel like I do all of those other things. But the beautiful thing is that God welcomes you to himself this morning. And as the body of Christ, we welcome you this morning. The arms of God are wide open to receive you. The invitation to start anew is extended to you. God is saying, let's do this. Take off your old self, be renewed, and put on your new self. The invitation to to you, wherever you are at, exists here today. But if we want to be followers of Christ, if we truly want to be disciples, of Jesus Christ, it requires a choice. Not this, but this. Not all of these things of the world, but all the things that God has to offer. Not my way, but God's way. Matthew 15, Jesus calls out the Pharisees for saying one thing and doing another. In Revelation, John writes this warning to the church at Laodicea about being lukewarm in the nature of their faith. See, God does not want, he's not looking for a bunch of wishy-washy, fence-straddling, Sunday morning church-attending people. He is looking for disciples. He is looking for people that want to say, I'm going to take up my cross today, and I'm going to follow after you. God is looking for followers disciples, people that will take a stand, put on their new self in the spirit and live bold lives that imitate Christ. And this requires courage and it requires trust. It requires community. It requires faith. But here's the thing. Such a commitment brings about life-giving transformation and it preserves unity and it testifies 
to the goodness of God to all of those around us. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for today. I thank you for a better way. Lord, I pray that we would be peculiar people, people that are more compassionate and loving than what we see oftentimes in the world today. People that are gracious, that are humble, that are willing to reach out when someone's in need. But I pray that when we wake up in the morning, we would ask ourselves the question, am I a fan of yours or am I a follower of yours? And I pray that we would choose to be followers. I pray that we would take up our cross, that we would follow after you, that we would live lives that reflect you to those around us. Because your way is not only a better way, it is the better way. Lord, I thank you for today in this time of worship. What a joy it is to know of your goodness and your transforming power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.